and to be patient and um, to pray. Thank you. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I'd like to invite you to take them and turn to Romans chapter 12, verse 12, as Rachel just reminded us. Thank you, Rachel, for that. It is a joy to be together in the house of the Lord again. A special welcome. Thank you for joining us this morning. I want to personally just thank you for allowing and affording me the opportunity the last couple weeks to um, continue to study and to, to learn. I was down at RTS, Reformed Theological Seminary, for an intensive, um, and then tacked on some vacation time after that. Wendy and I were able to rest, but thank you. I appreciate both Robbie and Pastor Aaron who filled the pulpit and both did an excellent, excellent job. Keep very careful handling of the word. But I missed you. I just missed our church family just yesterday. It was a delight to see so much activity with the Easter egg hunts and and afterwards, I was on my way to an LHU baseball game and stopped at Dunkin' Donuts, as sometimes I will have uh, a temptation to do. I thought I would be wise and beat the long drive through and went inside. And when I was inside, I had, I had my work boots on and, and my baseball hat, and I had a, a ripped pair of jeans on. Sorry about that. And, and I, saw, I saw little Zay there with his Mimi having a donut. And I, I turned it and I just said, hey, Zaya. And he just looked at me. No joke, direct quote. Is that, is that really you, Pastor Tim, or is, is that another you? <laughs> just missed my church family. Today we have a text before us. Let, let me just say, let me preface right out of the gates. Oh, such good news. It's, it's, only, it's only 11 words. Romans chapter 12, verse 12. Here's our text. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation and be constant in prayer. With that very thought, would you bow your heads and pray with me this morning. <clears throat> Father, we are... So grateful for who you are. We're thankful that as we come to you in the name and through the work of Jesus, that you hear, you hear our cries and our pleas. Thank you for the privilege it has been to unite our voices together and sing. Not, not just, Lord, we need you, but to sing together. God, you are so good. Lord, as we hear the rain, even right now, I, I think of some heaviness and darkness, some dark clouds, some trouble and tribulation that people right here are in the midst of. And I pray, Lord, this morning that you would encourage their hearts through the truth of your word. Challenge each of us, please, Lord, I plead with you, please give me the help that I need to just speak clearly and maybe for your glory. May you speak and 
May, may your children, may all who have gathered here this morning, all who are hearing this, may we hear from you. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Okay, very quickly, it's been a while, so the author is the Apostle Paul, and he continues what in these quick bullet point kind of imperatives and commands. There's 13 of them in just five verses, and, and if you remember, there's this overarching theme to everything that we have particularly set the tone with the last three weeks that everything that we do, everything that we do is to be done in and with love. Go all the way back, verse 1, if we are to offer ourselves as living sacrifice, we live in daily submission to the Word of God and the Spirit of God. We are not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think with the gifts that we've been given, but we use them, what, to glorify God and build up to edify the believers. And we are to do this, all of this, we're to always do this primarily with a self-sacrificing, genuine, brotherly, costly, never-ceasing, exhausting, wear yourself out by earning your Sunday afternoon nap, Pastor Aaron would say, with a constant care, concern, and affection for one another. Then what? What, what, what happens? What happens? Believe me on this. The world will gain notice of the Lord Jesus Christ, the bridegroom. And the world will gain notice of his most beautiful bride, the local church. It, it's, not about, it's not about yourself. It's not about the, what, individualism. Just, just be you. That, that permeates every facet of our society. The truth is what? Hear me on this, and sorry to disappoint, but you are not the star of the show. So, so get that out of your mind. The world does not revolve and should not revolve around you. It's not about you getting, being, or doing whatever you want just to make you feel happy. Don't buy that lie. Something's bigger. Something's much, much bigger. And we get a glimpse of it today. What is it? What, what, what do we do here? What's the result? Three most important, very clear bits and pieces of instruction on how we are to live in light of the love that we are to have for one another through the work of the Spirit that we build up one another for the glory of God alone. Here it is. Let me, let me say that there is not a day, there is not a day in the life of a Christian that one does not need to hear this verse. There's not one day that you don't need to hear. Number one, rejoice in hope. I want to give you a point of application right out of the gate. With rejoice in hope, here's our application. Remember what Jesus is going to do. You got to hold tight to that. The New Testament concept of hope has to do with absolute certainty. With the promises of God for the future will come to pass absolute certainty what God has said will come to pass two weeks from today you're going to be here Lord willing and you're going to bring your friends and your family we're going to pack this place out because we're going to celebrate what Easter Sunday and I'm going to preach on these few words from Matthew chapter 27 that says what after three days I will rise again guess what what happened 
on the third day, they come racing to the tomb, and an angel says, What? Why are you looking for the living amongst the dead? He's not here. He has risen. What Jesus said, he did. Let me give you something else this morning that causes us to rejoice in hope. John chapter 14, verse 1 says what? Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And and Jesus said this. I want you to hold on to it. I will come again. I'm going to take you to myself. That where I am, there you're going to be also. Don't, 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 don't be troubled because Jesus himself says, I will come again. Now, this truth is so needed. It is so important because what? Because why? Every single day we wake up and we face what? News of more heartache and more bloodshed and more wars and rumors of wars. And we hear phrases, like literally real phrases, of chemical weapons and nuclear threats. We, we live in a world right now where if you, if you hit rewind over the past 24 months, almost 1 million people, over 978 thousand people have died because of what a pandemic and that's just in our country alone we live in a world where we look around us where i just heard as you did a nominee for the supreme court who simply could not or i should say would not offer the definition or respond to the question could you please define what a woman is No, I'm sorry, I can't do that. When you open any dictionary in the world, Webster Dictionary says what? An adult female person, a woman belonging to a particular category as by birth. That's the world that we're hearing. Where, correct me if I'm wrong, that USA Today just awarded a person who was born a biological man as woman of the year. And we just awarded a swimmer, the greatest swimmer in college. What about the little girl that was next to him that's been practicing since she was five and six years old? That's the world that we live in. And you just paid $4.43 for a gallon of gas. And every single commodity, every single thing out there is just skyrocketing. Add to that to the fact that every single, every single, virtually every single violent um, crime statistic on drug use and abuse and overdose and suicide and depression and anxiety rise astronomically like never before. The world is on fire. I got an idea. So this is what we all, we, we all wake up early on a Sunday morning. Only day that we get a break. We're going to brush your teeth. We're going to wash your face. We're going to get dressed. We're going to find two socks that match. And we're all going to drive to the same place. We're all going to get together in a room. And, and then we're going to sing. When the world's on fire. Who's, 
whose idea is this? And then after we sing, we're going to all, we're going to bow our heads, we're going to close our eyes, and we're going to pray. And then after we pray, we're going to open up a book that was written 2,000 years ago. And you're going to sit for 40 minutes and listen to a guy talk to you. Preach. Rejoice in hope. There's good news in the middle of a bad news world. We're going to do that. And then on top of that, you're going to walk out and you're actually going to give hard-earned Money, you're going to put it in little boxes to support the work that God is doing in our community and around the world. Whose idea is that's really what we're going to do? That's exactly what we're going to do. That's, that's exactly what we're going to do. Why? Let me tell you why. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says this, If in Christ we have hope in this life only, then we are of all people most to be pitied. You, you see, that's why we do what we do. Because our hope is not in this life only. You mean we're going to do like all of that? We're going to gather here? Yes, we are. Why? Because it says in Deuteronomy chapter 4 that we have a God who is close to us and he answers our prayers. So that we must be careful to not forget the things that God has done for us. And we keep reminding ourselves. And it says, tell your children and your grandchildren. You remember the day that you stood in the Lord's presence? That's why we do what we do. Why? Because it says in Psalm chapter 61 that God hears our prayers. And he listens to the cries of my heart. Now, as a result of knowing all that, not only will we rejoice in hope, but I, I tell you what, I'll tell you the truth. That every single time we gather, we will not neglect to meet together as is the habit of sons. Why? So that we can stir up one another to good works. Regardless of the fact that the world is on fire, we're going to make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands, and serve the Lord with gladness and come before his presence with singing. And what? Enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. We're going to address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We're going to sing and we're going to make melody in our heart. And regardless of how difficult or how hot the fire is out there, we will preach the word and we will be ready in season and out of season. Why? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And we know that every good gift comes from the Father above. And we're going to honor the Lord with our wealth and with our first fruits, with all that we produce. Why? So that we will always be prepared to make a defense to anyone out there who recognizes and asks the question that we can give an answer for the reason for the hope that is in you. You understand here, regardless of whichever way you turn, when it looks like there is an increasing hopelessness, we begin with this phrase, rejoice. Rejoice in hope. It's almost, it's almost, it's almost like the author knows something that many people do not know. Or the, the author, 
knows something that many people forgot. This word rejoice, Cairo, it means to be glad, joyful, be in a state of gladness and happiness and well-being. The kind of rejoicing, according to the Lexham Theological Word Book, denotes not a feeling or a simple expression of joy, but also in action that one chooses. Which means what? I'll choose, I would like, I'm going to choose joy. I'm going to choose to rejoice when the world is on fire. Bacon costs $8 a pound. You're telling me, serious? Yeah, yeah, I'm serious. Why? All because of our hope that exists. Our hope of glory exists through Jesus and what he has promised us. You can be assured looking in and listening to how the church functions doesn't make sense in this world, but it makes sense in the world to come. Be assured, looking in does not make sense. Like what you do here, you're gonna sit here, you're gonna stare this way for a long time. It does not make sense in this life, but it makes total sense in the life to come. makes sense in light of the fact that eternity is real and it makes sense in light of eternity you have been created in the image of God an eternal being your soul bodies crumble and and turn to dust but a soul lives forever you've been created in the image of God you have been given a purpose you've been promised that you have a reason for being here doesn't matter how, how, how difficult your story is, how yours is different than everyone else's. You have been given everything that you need it in order to accomplish that purpose perfectly to the promised work of Jesus and what happened on that cross and in that tomb. It doesn't have to make sense in this life because it makes sense in the life to come. I, I remember some time ago talking with two young men both successful businessmen, talented, well-educated, good-looking. And, and I, was, I, was, I was walking them through the, the, the church. And, and they, they honestly, they honestly were asking, like, like, what exactly is this about? Like, they had no idea of local church. They had no idea. Church was not part of their background, of their upbringing. And they asked a question, like, like, what do you, like, what do you do here? I said, well, well people gather together, and uh, we sit down and we sing, and, and we pray, and, and, I, and, I, and I talk. And the guys were really, they, were, they said, listen, we don't want to be rude, but, like, is that your job? Like, do you get paid for doing that? I said, Yeah. Like, how, how do you get paid? I said, this is when we add baskets. And, and, and they, I said, well, actually, just, we pass baskets. I said, so much money comes. It takes eight guys to carry those baskets. And they're just looking at me. And they're like, like, what do you tell them? And I said, hey, don't tell them. Basically, I tell them the same thing every single week. And like, what is that? I, I said, well, there was and is... A holy God who created everything out of nothing with a spoken word. 
And they're like leaning in. He created man and, and woman and he placed them in a garden and he gave them everything. It was perfect. It was beautiful. But they disobeyed God. Fell into sin. And I said the entire Bible is just filled with chaos and brokenness and sinfulness. And I told them this, but God, who is rich in mercy, so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. What they said? Hey, can you do lunch with us? Because we'd like to hear more. This was years ago. I have no idea. We talked more of it. I have no idea. I don't know where they are. But I, I tell you what, the seed of the gospel was sown. And that's all that matters. That's all that, that matters. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You look around us, how hard it gets, how tough things are. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1, I, I rejoice in my sufferings. And he knew something about sufferings. All the apostles in Acts chapter 5 literally get, uh, get, get beat and they get arrested. And they, get, they get warned and they get let back go. And it says what? That they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor. For his name. That there's something in here. There's something deep. Deeper than the silliness that exists around us. There's something internal and substantial that one knows we can rejoice regardless of the outwards. I'm not talking about some blind, silly, flippant, ha ah, that don't hurt. I'm not talking about that. But a deep and abiding spirit-given ability to hold on tight to the hope. The hope in what? You hold on tight to something. You hold on tight to hope. Hope in what? I gotta, I gotta let you know it. And, and, and so I gotta go, I gotta, let, I gotta let it out of the bag. I gotta go forward a couple chapters to Romans chapter 15. So when we get there, just look surprised. Like, whoa, really? It says this in verse 13. May the God of hope, what do we hold on to? The God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may get this overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You, you, you get it? You, you understand what we're holding on to? You can't, you can't help but very quickly notice that each of these exercises... Helps the other. Th th think of it like this. If our hope of glory is so assured that it is a rejoicing hope, you shall find the spirit, what? Of endurance in tribulation. Thus we can, number two, be patient in tribulation. And what's the point of application right away with that? Remember what Jesus has already done. It is finished. He cried out. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. He died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves. But for him 
who for their sake died and was raised. Peter writes this, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Since we know that Jesus has suffered, he's saying what? Strap it on. Get ready for this. Arm yourself. Knowing that Jesus died, knowing that Jesus suffered, actually helps us live patient in tribulation. That word tribulation is a great word to say in Greek. It's thlipsis. It's just fun to say. T-H-L-I-P-S-I-S. Thlipsis. What did you learn in church today about thlipsis? The word tribulation in Greek, it means trouble, turmoil, oppression, affliction that causes pressure, distress. They're all very descriptive words. So descriptive, it's actually agonizing just to hear them and to read them. And I don't want to take anything from your tribulation, from your trouble, from your flipsis. I, I am well aware. I hear and talk to people. I understand that your family is like fragmented. There's like disarray in many homes. I'm not taking anything from the fact that what? I, I, I know that there are marriages in crises sitting right here amongst us. Like I'm done. I, I know those things are trouble, that our kids are in rebellion, and that what? They're depressed. They have no direction. And I know that there's people that are what? Angry and fearful and exhausted. And I don't want to take anything from your what? Trouble from your tribulation. But when you compare that word tribulation to what Jesus suffered, it's totally different. Since therefore Christ suffered the word is pasco it's physical mental emotional suffering and pain of the highest degree and that's actually what it says we are to be ready for or armed for so that being patient in tribulation implies actually guess what we just get a heads up we just get a warning that there is going to be trouble in this world. It's not, it's not an exception. Like we're the only ones here. It's not an exception to the rule. It is expected. Don't be shocked. Don't be surprised. Rather get ready for it. And it's not. Forgive me. But tribulation is not paying five bucks for a gallon of gas. It's far deeper than that. And, and, and we're to be ready. We're to be actually armed. You ever been, you ever been, probably talking to the guys, probably, you ever been sucker punched before, cold cocked? You know, know what that means? Where you're kind of what? You're, you're hit from your blind side, like you don't see it, you don't know it's coming, it's unknown, unseen, unexpected, it's terrifying. It's not just the pain of being hit, it's like, whoa, what just happened here? See, what we're actually given is a, is a reminder to be ready how might we endure? Be patient. Need, need I remind you that patience is what? It is a fruit. It is evidence, according to Galatians chapter 5, of the Holy Spirit's presence in your life, which goes back to Romans chapter 8. See how all of this fits together with the Holy Spirit's work in our life, what God has done 
by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Why? You're not in the flesh, it says, but you are in the spirit. You actually can. You can do this. And you're not alone. You can do this. You can be patient in tribulation. Why? Because Jesus says in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. This truth is not a what? It's not a blind, that don't hurt mentality. It's not that. It's a deep knowledge of Jesus ultimately knowing that he overcame victory and he promises the presence of the Holy Spirit. Think about this. You, you don't go through tribulation only with the Lord's help. You go through tribulation with the Lord. See, see the difference there? God is our refuge and strength, a very present help. Underscore those lines in Psalm chapter 46 in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. We can rejoice in hope. We can be patient in tribulation. Thirdly and finally, we, we can be and we will be constant in prayer. Here it is, application right away. Remember what Jesus is presently doing. Right now, this very moment. Every single time, every single time, you just, you just cry out. In Romans chapter 8, it says in verse 34, Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Clearly, one of the top books that I've read in the past year, without a shadow of a doubt, Dane Ortland's gentle and lowly there's still copies in the back and grab one before they are gone many of you i've given them out baron and i have given out two cases i think and orland says this intercession listen intercession is the constant hitting refresh of our justification in the court of heaven Pressing in more deeply, Christ's intercession reflects how profoundly personal our rescue is. His interceding for us reflects his heart. The same heart that carried him through life and down into death on behalf of his people is the heart that now manifests itself in constant pleading with and reminding and prevailing upon his father to always welcome us. You see, what happens is we listen to the whispering lies of the enemy that says, what, your sin is worse than everyone else. God doesn't want to hear from me. That's a lie from the pit of hell. When you've acknowledged the fact that you are a sinner, and we all do that well, but we put our faith and our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Spirit indwells us. And as we bow our heads to pray to the Heavenly Father in the name of Jesus, we have what? Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God the Father. And every what? 
tearful, pillow-soaked prayer that you have honored. And the prayers that you can't even put words to because you know it hurts too much. And it's more like a groan. And we all know what that is. That Jesus hears it and he whispers into his heavenly father's ear and says, there's my boy. There's my girl. And he's faithful. God is so good. I think when we remember what Jesus is doing for us, I think it it motivates us. I think we forget that. It motivates us toward greater and more consistent, constant prayer. And as I was studying that, I noted that there's no translation here that really agrees on how this is worded. Everyone was different. But what's interesting is they're all saying exactly the same thing. Very, very quickly, the, the, uh, the NIV says that we are to be faithful in prayer. The brain study says be persistent in prayer. The old King James says continuing instant in prayer. New King James, continuing steadfastly in prayer. New American Standard, devoted to prayer. The New Living, just keep on praying. Like it's kind of saying the same thing here. And I have no doubt in a, in a room this size with this many people that there are, there are many that are doing just that. My heart recently has been very encouraged, particularly with young men, new husbands and fathers who are saying, I need to learn how to shepherd my home well. Please teach me. And I know young men are doing that. Hopefully old men that we are modeling for the young of what it looks like. I am encouraged to, to see an entire, entire class filled with women spending an entire class season learning about the importance of prayer. But if you use Acts chapter 2, like I read this morning, as a model of how we do church, you can't help but notice the togetherness that exists. They're always together. Always together. They devoted themselves to teaching and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayer. In a time when the world is on fire, there has never been, and I'm not, I'm not flippant with that phrase. I, I do not believe there's ever been a greater need for the body to be gathered in seasons and moments like this. What, what happens? Encouraging and strengthening and lifting up and building up one another in prayer. You, you see, remember, it's not about you. It's not the expressive individualism. You're the star of the show. No, it's by your presence here, actually you're encouraging someone else just by being here. Now, if, if, if we were to measure what it looks like for the body to be gathered in corporate prayer together by Wednesday night gatherings. To be honest, my heart would be grieved. It is. Troubled. Because apparently there's a lot of other stuff. There's like boxes that need tape on it. Or, or there's hedges that need to be trimmed. Or we need to organize our nails and our screws in, in, our, in our garage. We've got a lot of important stuff to do out there. Because the world's on fire. And you're just like ants in busyness. When what? The church is to be together and constant and consistent in prayer. And knowing what? Being reminded. Remembering. 
what Jesus Christ is doing on our behalf. I implore you, knowing that he's advocating for the need for greater hope to rejoice. He's advocating for what? Greater need for patience in trouble. He's advocating for greater endurance in prayer that allows us to be motivated. And and this whole underlying is this idea of perseverance. It's perseverance. It's continuing on, continuing on, being steadfast. So may you take that as a challenge from the word of God this morning. Very clear, simple, three commands, imperatives. From the Holy Spirit to your heart. And may you examine your heart. And if there's areas that say, you know what, I'm not being patient here. Then, then I would ask you to just confess that before the Lord. If you've bit somebody's head off in your impatience, then you need to go to that person. Ask for forgiveness. If you knowing that you, 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 you understand that you've not been constant, that your prayer life is like fragmented, like, yeah, it's the end of the day. Oh, I forgot. I need to pray. Then, then you need to ask for forgiveness for that. We need to be a church when the world is on fire out there. We need to be a church is doing what the word of God says. Today, when you leave this place, you're going to get a little Easter booklet to read to your family free. And when you walk out of this place, I want you to look at the fireplace. God has blessed us with a beautiful, and above the fireplace, there's an old piece of slate that we took from the old school. And, and, and etched in that old piece of slate is Romans chapter 12, verse 4. And I want you to just to look at that, stop at that for a moment and see those words and say them over to yourself. And I would ask that you thank the Lord, your heavenly Father, because of Jesus. You can rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, and be constant in prayer. Father, we love you. We're amazed at your grace and mercy and patience with us. But please... May it not end, but may it, may it motivate us to be a church that is a bright, shining beacon of hope and light and rejoicing and gladness. May we be truth-tellers of the good news of Jesus. And may you be glorified in everything that we say and do. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.